passionate about the truth of God's Word and will tell you like it is, Autumn Miles is best-selling author of three books, popular speaker, CEO, wife of 17 years, and mom of four kids, and not to mention, everybody's best friend. With fresh biblical insight, she dares you to step out in raw faith. It's your girl, Autumn Miles, back at you today. And, you know, we don't do guests very often um, unless I see something that I am just obsessed with. And um, we we actually have a guest today. Uh, we're going to be talking about something that I, I think we need to talk more about in the church. We're going to be talking about grief. But my guest today, I'm not going to waste any of y'all's time today. My guest today is Pastor Jonathan Hits, okay. I, I don't want to give away his story too much, but he is a pastor um, out of uh, Franklin, Tennessee, which actually I work with a lot of people in Franklin, Tennessee. So I read that and I was like, oh my goodness, I'm there all the time. Uh, but he has got an incredible story of just God's faithfulness, working through grief. And I want to go ahead and invite him on the show now uh, so that he can tell you. So welcome to the show, Jonathan. How are you today? Hey, Autumn, I'm doing good. Glad to be with you today. Listen, I want you to share a little of your story, but just for my listeners out there, you you lost your wife suddenly a couple of years ago. Um, could you tell us just a little bit about what happened there? Sure. Yeah, well, I'll start. I'll kind of go back to come forward, but um, uh, my name is Jonathan Pitts, uh, born and raised in New Jersey, met my beautiful wife, Winter, um, in Philadelphia. I was in college at the time in 2001, right after 9-11. Fell in love, uh, got married two weeks after we graduated. Uh, we were 23 years old. Um, I ended up, we ended up having our first baby within the first year. Alina is her name. And we'd go on to have three more daughters. We'd move to Texas. Uh, actually, we'd move to Texas and then have three more daughters. Three of my daughters are native Texans, I would say. All four of them feel like Texans. <laughs> and then uh, we would um, basically grow in marriage there. We were married 15 years and 27 days, did ministry together. Winter started a magazine called For Girls Like You. I ran a big nonprofit for a guy named Tony Evans, pastor in Texas for several years, worked with him 10 years. And uh, we actually were in our move to Franklin, Tennessee. In, it was July uh, 2018. We were in our move to Franklin, Tennessee. I was starting a new job as an executive pastor at Church of the City in Franklin. And Winter, with her magazine, and her, she had published at that point, I don't know, six or seven books. And it just seemed like a natural move for us as a family based on all that was happening in the Nashville area and just what we were doing. And we're just excited about our future. So we bought our house on July 14th, 2018, uh, moved into our home, got our girls enrolled in school, did all the things that we needed to do to get our life set up. And then we would actually go back to Dallas for um, just a week for me to finish up my role at the Urban Alternative where I was working. And our girls were going to go to a week of camp that next week. And Winter and I were to come back to Franklin to, to really unpack our house while the girls were at camp. Uh, it was a Tuesday of that week where I was finishing my last week of work. I was saying goodbye to my coworkers. And she just texted me and said, hey, I I'm feeling kind of um, sick. She used the sick emoji. And she never texted me back. I texted her. She just asked what was wrong. She never texted me back. And I actually went um, that evening. I'd bring dinner home. I'd fix dinner. She said she wanted to lay down and take a nap. She actually was fine. She didn't seem sick when I came home. She was laughing and playing with my girls. My sister-in-law was there with her kids. And anyway, I'd get home and um, she'd lay down to take just a quick nap. She had a, a book project she was working on and said she needed a nap. And then she needed me to be, me to be on that night. She was like, I need you to be on, which meant just be up for doing everything with the kids so she could write. And I would fix dinner um, and I'd go in the bedroom actually to floss my teeth. And um, I would be flossing my teeth. I'd look out into the bedroom and she was sitting up like she was trying to get up from her nap. And she just kind of 
fell over almost like slumping over like she didn't want to get up you know that thing that feeling when you just i ah, just slump back over and but there was something unnatural about it and so i just said like why are you playing like that and um i would recognize that i at the time thought it was a seizure or something like that and um bottom line is she was having cardiac dysrhythmia which is uh, her heart got off rhythm somehow in combination with a, a heart murmur that she had that we knew about which was never really a big deal and um what would be the most uh painful 30 minutes of my life um, would be moments where she would um, glide into the kingdom of heaven in the, in, in the God's presence um, really, really quickly. And uh, it was terrible. My three youngest daughters were there and just imagine the chaos of that moment. And um, thankfully my oldest daughter wasn't there because she's the one that was old enough to really probably remember it in super detail. But anyway, that day uh, I would lose my wife really, really suddenly and my life would drastically change. Uh, I'd be a widowed dad of four girls. And um, yeah, that's how we got here. So she had no, aside from the heart or murmur, she had no underlying conditions. It it was just like sudden. Yeah. No, healthy girl. Um, Yeah. Healthy girl, just with a heart murmur. We'd, We'd go to the cardiologist once a year and they said, you're fine. Your heart's looks fine. One day you may have to have valve replacement or valve repair. And, but it was always fine. We'd gone to the cardiologist just a few months before and they said everything was fine. So it really was just like a freak thing. And I just, I just think that's, that's the way that God decided to bring her home. I guess he could bring her home however he wanted to, but that's how he decided to. She was a superstar. I mean, she was a superstar uh, from everything that I had heard about her. And of course now reading about her and just following the story, she was loved by, it seems like everyone. And you had the privilege of being married to her for how long? How long were you guys married? 15 years and 27 days. She was a really, it's interesting because it's definitely like, she, you know, winter gets deified almost like now because she was an amazing woman, but um, she's very human, very human woman. It's one of the things I really loved about her. Wasn't a people pleaser at all. Didn't need to be in the spotlight. And God obviously grew her in how he wanted to use her in her life. And, um, but she was just a normal girl that loved Jesus, loved our girls, loved me, loved life. And, um, I, th- I think she was just so obedient. She, she said no often, and she only said yes to the things that she felt like he was calling her to. And somehow, some way got expedited because she said so many no's her yeses expedited her purpose. And I believe she accomplished all of her purpose in 38 short years because of that. So, mm-hmm. yeah. and you have four girls. Um, what are their names and, and how old are they? Yeah, Alina, my oldest. Alina's 16, almost 17. A lot of your listeners would know her if they've seen the movie War Room. She's the little child actress, jump rope girl in War Room. Um, She's 16. Uh, Caitlin is 14. And then I've got twins, Cameron and Olivia, who are 11, almost 12. So, yeah, four girls, basically almost all teenagers at this point. And, uh, yeah, it's interesting days ahead. We have four kids too, and they're about those. Except we have a five and a six year old that we adopted. But um, I've got, I've, we've got those teenage years. <laughs> We're right there with you with the teenage years. Awesome. So you wrote this book, My Winter Season, sort of chronicling um, what happened and what what you went through. Um, and it really talks about grief. And I'll have to tell you, Jonathan, we've we've lost so many people in our family in the last mm. few years. But even with COVID. I feel like um, going through last year, so many people have lost loved ones unexpectedly or, I mean, it's to me, it's not even losing a person when you deal with grief, mm-hmm. I mean, losing an opportunity, losing a job, whatever. Um, but personally, I don't think that we talk about grief enough in the church. 
I feel like we we are just um, sort of almost made to move on really, really quickly mm-hmm. rather than sort of sit in it and um, and, you know, go through the natural stages, have have compassion even on ourselves as we're going through it. My my uh, my husband lost his mom last year and it was devastating. Um, but it's almost like you, you're almost in a rush to get through it. So you have chronicled really your own journey through that. And I would be interested um, just to hear your your thoughts on grief and what that process was like for you losing someone so suddenly. Yeah, I would say uh, I actually use, I've, I think I've made this up, like that grief is just the process of dealing with lost expectations. Could be the loss, of, like for me, it was, I expected 30, 40, 50 years with winter, didn't get that. I expected her to outlive me, didn't get that. Um, you know, lots in COVID, lots of people have had expectations that have been dashed, uh, jobs lost, um, travel plans. I mean, I had a golf trip to Pebble Beach for my 40th birthday that got canceled, and you would have thought I lost another loved one. I mean, it was just a, it was something I wanted to do my entire life, and it just got canceled. And it's just, um, so anyway, I just think grief is dealing with lost expectations, and um, that process can take time, and it takes us actually acknowledging what we've lost. Um, really the, the book for me has been this, it it was a process and a way of me sharing, um, just the truth of what happened, but also through a different lens. Cause one of the things I think that we as Christians are able to access, uh, the ancients would call it the discipline of celebration. This Philippians four chapter or Philippians chapter four, verse eight, which says whatever's true, whatever's right, whatever's honorable, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever's admirable. If anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about these things. Mm. Paul's actually telling the Philippian believers that from prison. He's in prison in horrible circumstances, telling them to celebrate. They're in horrible circumstances, being persecuted, dealing with the loss of loved ones that are being literally martyred, tortured, families ripped apart, like all the things that happened in those times. And he's telling them to rejoice, wow, rejoice yeah. the Lord always. And again, I'll say rejoice, he says earlier in that chapter. And so really what, I, what I've, and this is, it's funny, I didn't discover that language until after going through what I've walked through. But I think what I tried to do, and maybe this is more of a natural bent for me, just how I'm wired is to look for things that God was doing in the middle of my circumstances, despite the, the horrific nature of my circumstances. Tony Evans, my mentor, would say, if all you see is what you see, you'll never see all there is to be seen. Hmm. If all you see is what you see, you'll never see all there is to be seen. And so I, really, the book is a kind of a sneak peek into how I was viewing what was happening in my life, not just in the loss of winter, but how God was meeting us. And he met us in so many different beautiful ways and still is like, he's still meeting us. I, in the very beginning, I was calling it like wave after wave of grace and mercy. Like mm-hmm. God was just so gracious to us in providing for us and showing me what he had next for me. Um, even in the middle of, yeah, losing like the greatest gift that I'd ever had up until that point, you know? So, um, yeah. Grief, loss of expectations. That's a beautiful way to put it. I want to talk about this. I'm obsessed with hymns and actually your publisher sent, sent this over. Um, it says throughout the book, you share songs and hymns you sang throughout your grief journey. Well, I don't understand what it is about hymns. They're like, to me, I can't even listen to a hymn without crying. I have several of them posted up in my home, but you you sort of uh, grabbed hold of that uh, through your grief journey. And what was the importance of that to you? I want to I want to hear that. Yeah, it's funny. It was just like a natural thing for me to do. I mean, um, I'll just tell you a story. When I, we got to the hospital, and I already knew, you know, I'm a Boy Scout, Eagle Scout. Like I was sure when we got to the hospital without a miracle that Winter was gone because she hadn't breathed in more than 25 minutes, you know, and your brain, if it doesn't get oxygen for that long, it's gone, you know? And so I was praying for a miracle on one side of my brain and my other side of my brain, 
I was preparing myself for the fact that I might not see my wife again. And so I had an attendant come out and just say, Hey, we had, you know, we had a bit of a pulse. We don't have that anymore. And, um, you might want to come in and say goodbye to your wife. And so I walked into that room and I, I kind of knelt down beside her. I kind of was caressing her hair and put my cheek on her cheek. And I just remember crying tears that were falling on her face and just feeling my warm tears against her face. And instinctively, I just began to sing, it's your breath in our lungs. So we pour out a praise, pour out a praise. It's your breath in our lungs. So we pour out a praise to you only. Great are you, God. And I just sang that through a few times. I mean, all these people in the room, this machine still pumping on her chest, like all that's going on. It was just me and her and Jesus in that room. And um, I feel like in that moment, I was reminding her of where she was going. Maybe she was already there and reminding myself that I still had breath in my lungs, that God was going to use. And I, I couldn't articulate it that like that then. I was just doing what I felt instinctively. Um, but I had lots of moments like that. And the next moment, telling my girls, like, I don't know, probably 20 minutes later, I'm telling my girls and we sang good, good father, as I told them that their mom was with Jesus. And then we got home that night and I laid on a bed with all four of my daughters in my chest in the most despair I've ever felt in my life. And we did nothing but sing because I had no other words. And I think that's the point. Like when you have no other words, like the, the words we always have as believers is that we can, we can sing out to God, we can cry out to him. And so, you know, I wasn't saying it like that then. I was just doing what I've been trained to do instinctively by my parents and just through life. And what I can say now, looking back at that, is it's literally the only thing that got me through. My hardest nights at my new house in Nashville, when we got here and I was just lonely in my bedroom, I would just sing, put headbuds in, headbuds in, sing, sit by my bed, sing. I, I'd written a couple little lyrics before, sang those about God's goodness. And yeah, you know, Paul says something about, um, you know, in, with hymns, songs and spiritual psalms, something like that. He said, I can't remember where that's at, but like we're encouraged throughout scripture just to cry out. And um, that's in the good and the bad. So. That's what David did. I mean, all yep. the Psalms, we see that. That's why, you, that's why I feel like you can identify with so many of those because you know that he was going through craziness. So, mm. uh, uh, love you that. It's funny. I couldn't identify with him until I, all the way. Like I identify with him so much more now than I ever did because he just always seemed like a head case to me. But he was going through a lot, you know. And um, having gone through a dark season now, darker than I ever thought I would ever go through. I'm, I don't know why I didn't think I'd go through something like that, but. Ultimately, I can more identify with David in his despair and from his despair into his, you know, right. the, yeah, the high moments just back and forth all the time, you know, so. Yeah. I want to talk about this that I found it very profound. I, re I really just like the sentence. I wanted to ask you about it. Um, in your packet that was sent, it says, even more, I have felt surrounded by the love of God and I have learned some of the truths about him that were only abstract ideas before now. They have become truths, and I know from experience. Um, just like what you were talking about, you know, you, you couldn't as identify with David as much until you sort of went through it. What are some of these abstract ideas that um, now have become nuggets of, like, you know, gold to you? Yeah, um, just to name a few. I mean, I think the first would be... Um that I've confirmed what I've always believed, you know, like I believe by faith that heaven is real and loved ones go there, but I've never dealt with loss and death that immediate and that up close like I did then. And I can say without a shadow of a doubt, as she was leaving this earth, I had no doubt in my mind where she was going. And, you know, it's easy to believe that on fun days and be like, oh yeah, God's good. And, but, but ultimately like in that dark place, 
being able to trust that my wife's soul was leaving that tent of a body that was hers and that it was being transported somewhere else. Like I visually saw it with my eyes and I'm like, oh, she's no longer there and I know where she's at. So just confirming what I believe about eternity. Um, I would say uh, confirming that God is good, even in the tough moments. Like God was honestly as good as I've ever seen him in those dark moments. And they were dark, but God was as, as good. And what's funny now is like two and a half years later, I find myself like, sort of longing for how I felt in those dark seasons mm. because it was in those seasons where I actually felt really close to God. So that would be another, um, that God's faithful, like that he's faithful and that he's got a plan. Like even the fact that he airlifted us and dropped us in Nashville, Tennessee prior to winter's passing. One of the cool things for me is, um, you know, the Evans family, winter's family, her uncle Tony, who I worked for and her cousins and Priscilla Shire and Anthony Evans Jr. They, they were like, they are my family. In fact, Anthony's at my house right now. But, um, I think if I would have been in in Dallas um, after Winter Pass, I'd be fine. The family would have surrounded me and supported me. But I literally was airlifted out, I think, to be put in an incubator so I could actually find out who Jonathan Pitts is again mm. post losing the greatest gift he'd ever, ever received. And so for me – sorry, I'm t- talking about myself in third person there for a second. But <laughs> like, I, I feel like God really wanted me to find myself. And he put me in this community, this body of believers at Church of the City that have just cared on me and loved me so well and – in a way, nurse me back to health, nurse my girls back to health. And not like it's better than what could have been in Dallas, but it's different. And I think God knew it was what I needed. And God's been faithful in that. And I mean, like loved me in ways that I know I could never pay back. That's only God. Like I had to learn to accept his love through other people. Um, there's a there's a Psalm, Psalm 34, 7 says that I've actually got it tattooed to my back now. Don't tell anybody that doesn't like <laughs> tattoos, but Psalm 34, 7 says, the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and he rescues them. Yes. And I would say that's the essence of the book. And that's the essence of my life. Like God in my dark season encamped around me and rescued me, not through like ethereal angels, but like literally through his people that just surrounded me, cared for me. I uh, can't even begin to describe financially. Uh, one awesome, crazy one is my sister, the day of my, um, of winter's funeral, my sister, um, that, that evening we were at dinner and she just goes, Hey, the Lord told me like, if you need me, I'm supposed to come. And so my 40-year-old sister, who's never been married, never had kids, who's been praying for family for as long as I can remember, gives up her entire life, sells her car, you know, gets out of her lease in her apartment, um, and a month after my wife passes away, moves to Nashville, moves into my house. And wow. this woman, who was Aunt Cece to my girls, is now affectionately known as Cece and is a part of our family and has been a gift to us and is an angel of the Lord to us. And um, it's actually really beautiful, too, because it works both ways. Like we've actually become – she's become family to us, but we've become family to her. And Mm. I'm praying that God blesses her with the man of her dreams. I think that's still going to happen, and uh, she can stop looking at me every day. Um, (laughs) I'm sure she'd rather see another guy. But um, anyway, it's just been really beautiful how God's done that, and I'm I'm forever grateful. God is faithful, Mm. and um, that's another thing. That's that's one of those abstract ideas that I now know to be true. I think um, I want to I want to switch the conversation just a little bit, because I love that you said you you needed to learn who you were. And so God in his love sort of transplanted you to figure out who that was. Um, I have so many people that have lost someone close, a husband, parent, whatever, and they have to relearn who they are. So I want to I want to switch the conversation a little bit because grief is such a huge part of the world right now. Um, to ask questions on behalf of, of the listener, okay, who's going to be listening, what would you say and what would your advice be 
to that person who suddenly lost someone incredibly dear to them and they just can't find the faithfulness of God. Uh, what would you say to that person? You know, um, there's a lot of things I could say. Um, the challenge for me is when I was walking through that season, I didn't necessarily hear what everybody, what, it, what everybody else thought about how I should feel. And um, so I would first say, like, you're in your process, and your process is your process, and God's wired you and built you a certain way. And um, in that, I don't want to deny you your process, which might be different or longer or shorter than mine. And um, the one thing I would say is, in everything, look to gain perspective. I'll go back to that line. If all you see is what you see, you'll never see all there is to be seen. I think sometimes we don't want to see different than what we see because we like being in our moment of despair. And it's actually the comfort we have because it allows us to kind of stay in that space where we don't we don't um, allow our spouse to actually be where they are. You know, I had to learn that. Like I, one of the most comforting things is when I really discovered, okay, okay, the Bible says that we are the bride of Christ. And so if Winter died, she's now fully, she's coming to this fullness of being the bride of Christ, which means I was a good husband. I think I was a really good husband actually, but now she's with her better husband mm-hmm. as the bride of Christ. She's literally united with the person who made her, mm. who made him for herself. And in that, I can let her go. Yeah, wow. And I think oftentimes we hold on because we actually, it's funny, I'm not funny. I remember having this deep, even at the hospital, like I'm leaving this woman that I've been called to protect. I'm leaving her at this hospital, like literally, like she's going to the morgue, like what? Like what? what's happening right now? And I, I felt this inability to protect her and to be what God called me to be for her. And that takes an undoing like that. That's taken an undoing that's taken more than just that day or more than just that week. That's taken a long undoing of me going, okay, God, you're protecting her. Even in, there's a verse, actually, I'm grateful I memorized that have no fear of sudden death of the ruin that overtakes the wicked. Mm-hmm. For the Lord is at your right side and will keep your foot from being snared. I learned that verse because I was afraid to fly. And I thought that was God's way of telling me I don't have to be afraid to fly. He'll protect me from my foot being snared in a plane crash. When winter passed away, I'm like, oh. That verse isn't about my foot being snared in this life. It's about my foot being snared even in death. Like, have no fear of sudden death because it happens. But the Lord is at your right side and will keep your foot from being snared. And so I I don't know. The thing I would say is lean in the scripture because the truth of it is a literal anchor you can hang to. And you've got your process and God's going to let you walk through your process. And um, I had to walk through mine. And so I wouldn't deny anyone that. But I would say as much as you can, you know, the Bible says that with all you can get understanding, you know, I would just say as much as you can lean into scripture. And I I do believe it will give you hope. And I I believe the spirit of God will meet you in it. So I want to also talk to you on behalf of that person who has lost a spouse, because I I actually know several Mm -hmm. Um, and they have children. Mm -hmm. And how have you just as much as you want to share, you know, no pressure. But I, I do think that that's a tricky thing, how you bring God sort of into that process with your kids um, and how you talk to them through it, how you talk them through it and allow them to process on their own. What would you say to that parent? Yeah, there's a beautiful quote that I love. I heard this guy, Kurt Thompson. He's a psychologist. Six months after Winter passed away, I was at this conference and he says, to the degree that a parent can make sense of their story will be to the degree that a child can be secure in theirs. To the degree that a parent can make sense of their story will be to the degree that a child can feel secure in theirs. And so I would say, first and foremost, like you need to be healthy yourself. And so like, you know, like on the airplane, they tell you to put your own mask on before you put your child's mask on. And first you don't understand it. Then you realize, oh, I can't save my child's life if I'm actually 
you know, dying. And um, so I would say, figure out your story and a way to make sense of your story so that your child can be secure. And, you know, I made, I made a, lot, a lot of mistakes. The biggest mistake I made right away, and I made it honestly, was just building a codependent relationship with my girls. I didn't even know what codependence was until walking through grief. And then I realized that, like, my girls were sad. I was sad. My girls were happy. I was happy. And like, as their emotions moved, I would move. And I wasn't able to be the steady rock for them because I was just like needing them to be something for me. And if they weren't that thing for me, then I was actually, I remember one time my uh, oldest daughter said to me, and we've talked about this publicly together, so I'll say it. But Alina said, uh, I, w- I walked by her bedroom and um, she was in her bed and I'm like, hey, you okay? And she's like, no, I'm okay. And just kind of, I could tell she wasn't okay. She's under blankets. And then I kept asking her because I wanted to keep digging. I'm like, I don't want to leave her in this moment. And finally, I just went in a room and I just sat down beside her. I'm like, hey, I'm not leaving until you just talk to me. And she just goes, Dad, I'm having a hard time believing that God is real. And if he's real, I'm having a hard time believing that he's good. And you would have thought that she was blaming me for every – because I basically took that response from her as being an indication of how good of a parent I'm being. Like my kid can't believe that God's good or God's real because I'm not doing a good enough job. Total codependence which led to me being like a little bit bitter and upset and kind of storming out of her room. I didn't say anything. But as soon as I got into my bedroom, ironically, uh, my wife and I wrote a book called She is Yours, Trusting God as You Raised the Girl He Gave You. And there's this prayer, which is literally a prayer of stewardship. Like, she's yours, God. I trust you with her. Like, it's handing her back to him. And uh, within moments, I felt remorse for kind of how I'd acted. And I I didn't have codependence as a language for it yet. But I grabbed that prayer, which is a canvas on my wall in my bedroom. I took it off. I wrote her name down. I dated it. And have literally gone back and done that same thing with my girls as I've had to give them back to him and trust him with them Mm. on days where I don't know what else to do. And so one, I would say, um, understand your own story, make sense of your story, put your own mask on, find health, go to counseling, do whatever you have to do to own your story, because they're going to find security in you being healthy and you owning your story. And so now I've just tried to just be yeah, just find out who I am in God. And, you know, it's funny, my daughter, we did an interview together, my oldest daughter, a couple of weeks ago, and she said, um, and she'd never said this before, but when I, uh, we were talking about me worshiping in the hospital and us worshiping when I told them about their mom being gone. And she said, I couldn't be like my dad, like for that first year, she was angry. Like that's, wow. the, that's, that's her go-to feeling. I didn't really ever have anger until I got annoyed later on, like annoyance. I didn't realize was anger, but she was angry really early on. And she said, but seeing my dad worship in those early days is why I can worship now. And I just started bawling my eyes oh, out. going to make me cry. Yeah. Cause in those moments, in those moments, I was just doing the best I could just to literally make sense of my story. Like, God, right. you're good. God, you're kind. God, you're there. God, you're real. Having no idea that she's watching me learning how to do that herself. And it would take her time to get there. But the fact of the matter is she got there and I'm really grateful for that. So, um, yeah. Having four kids myself. Oh, Wow. That, that's wow. I just feel so just from what we've heard um, from people that have lost people. You, chapter 17, you talk about saying goodbye. Oh my goodness. I need to get myself together. <laughs> that kid thing, man, you bring yeah. up kids. I'm like immediately. Oh. It's hard. Yeah. Um, you say saying goodbye and moving on. Um, so many people stay stuck and they can't move on. And I understand you just talked about your own process and, 
and stuff like that. But that is a very real question. I mentioned at the beginning, I, I don't think we do a good job with grief in the church. I don't think we let people even say goodbye. It's like, hurry up and move on. And, and there's not even that that chance to even say goodbye. I I want you to talk to that person out there who's like, I don't know how to move on. I, I, I don't know how to say goodbye. I don't know how to bring closure to this. I don't, mm-hmm. I just can't get it together. And maybe I can learn from Jonathan how to move forward. Speak from your heart because this is real. This is real stuff. Yeah, well, let me just tell you how God told me. Um, it was Friday before the Saturday that we'd bury winter. I'm in my brother-in-law's house and there's like 30 people in the house and I'm just like, needing space right needing space and i just go out that's where i was staying at that house and so all beautiful people family all that but i was just kind of in this place of just needing space so i just i kind of walked out of the house and it was 107 degrees in texas on that day probably and i was just like stifling heat hitting my face I'm like this is not what i wanted i wanted something refreshing and i remember like kneeling down below a fence to get my head out of the heat earbuds in I hit play on Spotify on a playlist that was already playing um, because the last time I'd listened to it was the morning of winter's passing. I took a run and I remember instinctively wanting to pray for my girls. I'm running. We're getting, we're we're out in the middle of this big move. I'm praying for my girls. And it was actually um, Stephen Furtick has these little sermonettes where he's like teaching, but they have a music bed and they're all kind of like these military kind of cadences. And the one that was playing that I hit play on was this one called moving on. And he's teaching from, I think it's Genesis 39 where scripture says that Jacob buried Rachel, he set a memorial, and then Israel moved on. It says Jacob buried Rachel, so she died, Jacob buried Rachel, he set a memorial, and then Israel moved on. And he's talking about this idea that like Jacob moved on because Jacob had these sons that he had to get to a, like he had, he had a job to do, like his purpose was still going. And he didn't forget Rachel. He set a memorial, which means he remembered her. And it says in that scripture that um, I think it says that stone marks her grave to this day. Like there's still this reality that they mark her memory. They mark who she was. She was important in the kingdom of God. Like, and so it was funny. I was listening to that. It's only like this little two minute, I'd recommend it for anybody that's walking through grief right now or walking through like something they can't let go of that need, they need to move on from and moving on, moving forward. I know that some people get resentful about those words, but just talk about, let's just say to continue living yeah, and living in purpose. And um, so anyway, in that moment, I knew that God was telling me like one day you're going to move on. You're going to set a memorial. You're going to mark her life. You're going to mark what you guys, guys have done. And then you're going to move on. And um, that spoke to me really significantly. And you know, what's funny is the first six months after winter passed, I really tried to just not grieve or grieve fast. I'm like, I'm an Enneagram three achiever driver. Like I'm going to get through this. And that lasted (laughs) maybe six months, maybe five months. And then I had like a year and four months after that of really deep, heavy grief of just me being Mm. by myself in my sorrow, obviously with my kids, but like, just like really paying attention to where I was. I wrote a lot in that season um, and what's funny is I'm, I'm not funny. I'm really glad I did that because it was in those moments where I was actually, I was actually setting memorials and markers. Like this book is kind of a memorial, um, for Thanksgiving, we began putting um, a candle on the table and we'd light that candle and that candle would represent winter's life. And we'd read out of this, um, this prayer book that I got and we'd mark it with family members that came over with us. Like I, we did all these things to memorialize and remember winter. We have even a little section in our house that memorializes her. But I knew that at some point I would move on. And what's what's crazy is I knew my 40th birthday would be really important. And on my 40th birthday, I was supposed to be playing Pebble Beach 
that trip got canceled. I lost that. I had to grieve that. It was COVID. COVID hit March, March uh, 2020. And I gave up every expectation that God owed me something. Because I thought my 40s was going to be like, all right, God owes me. I'm going to go play golf. And all these things are going to happen beyond 40. And he basically shut my birthday down. But what's crazy is 40 days, 41 days after my 40th birthday, I would get a text message from a friend that said, hey, are you dating again? And I'm like, not really. I'm just, you know, I'm just here with my girls and just trying to grieve well. If God sends somebody great, if not, no big deal. And he goes, well, I have a friend. She's 40. She's single. She loves Jesus. Would you be interested in meeting her? And uh, I think I said something like, is, uh, is she stable? And um, <laughs> and he said, yeah. And then he, he sends me a picture of her and she, this is beautiful woman. And anyway, bottom line is I'm now in a committed relationship with her and I'm now actively moving on. And um, if I didn't grieve what was, if I didn't memorialize winter, if I didn't mark what we had, I don't think I could be where I am now without deep guilt for where I am now. And so um, anyway, I'm in a place now of like coming out of my winter season, moving into, I guess I'd call it a spring season or a season of singing. And I'm really grateful to be here. And yeah, like that, this, where I'm at now doesn't happen, or at least it doesn't happen in a healthy way if I wasn't where I was. It's almost like you're telling me, and you correct me if I'm wrong. I certainly don't want to put words in your mouth. You kind of gave yourself permission. Um, you know, we've, we, I've sat in this and now I can move on because you've sort of processed as much as you can. I know, I know grief goes forever, but I think some people are just, just feel guilty. Like you just said, I can't move on. I feel like God gave me permission. And I think we all need permission because what's beautiful about oneness, especially in marriage is it becomes such a thing. Like it's, it's real. Like oh, oneness yeah. with your spouse is real. And so that is as fast as it happened for winter going to her maker it happened fast for her. Cause that's perfection. Right. But here on earth, like that's been a process for me of like letting go. And it's, I mean, it's a massive process. It's, it involves so much, especially when you have kids, like it just involves so much. And so it's been a process, but I feel like, yeah, that day God gave me permission and I just began to walk in it and practice it very imperfectly. And I'm still practicing it imperfectly. I'm still trying to figure out what this looks like and what moving on looks like. And I think, I don't think it's over by any stretch of the imagination, but right. you know, at the end of the day, if I want oneness with somebody else, especially like thinking specifically in the context of marriage, like I have to be able to, to allow God to own what was. And for me to, to, for me to have oneness with somebody else, I can't have oneness with with the person I had oneness with. It's a it's a mind boggling thing to think about. To be honest with you, that's why I'm in counseling. Well, I think you said it uh, beautifully, and I really think it's going to help people. You guys out there, um, the book is called My Winter Season. I actually love that her name is Winter because my name is Autumn. <laughs> yeah, so great. we have that like season, you know, sisterhood. Book is called My Winter Season. Uh, Jonathan Pitts has written it about. Um, his wife who passed away suddenly all about grief. Um, I highly recommend you go and you pick up this book. I think it will help you. I know y'all have been contacting me about grief for uh, a solid year. And this is your opportunity to go get a book to help you work through with the Lord. Uh, the things that you guys are dealing with, just like Jonathan has said uh, today, it's not just a spouse. It could be anything. Uh, a way of life, even. I mean, opportunities, so many things. Um, the world is grieving this year and we need hope. So uh, go get the book. You can get anywhere, right, Jonathan? Anywhere books are sold? Yeah, anywhere books are sold. And uh, if you want to find out a little bit more about it, you can go to jonathanpitts.net and um, some of the stories there. And I recommend you guys go to the website uh, to get some more information. 
what an honor to hear about your story. I know this is a precious part of your life. And gosh, I just feel honored that you would come on and share it with us. Thank you. It's a joy to share. So thanks for having me. God bless you. Thank you so much. And thank you guys. I will see you right back here next week on The Autumn Mile Show. Thanks for listening to this edition of The Autumn Miles Show. To find out more, go to autumnmiles.com. There, you can book Autumn for your next speaking engagement. Her inspiring message will be sure to engage and touch the heart of your audience at your next conference, church event, or business function. While you're online, you can find out how to order Autumn's latest book, Gangster Prayer. Our prayer is that this book will lead you to an intentional and passionate prayer life that is in sync with the heart of God. Go to autumnmiles.com to order your copy today. As we close, remember that you can follow Autumn on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Just search for Autumn Miles in your internet browser. Well, that's all the time we have for today. Be sure to join us next time for another edition of the Autumn Miles Show.